Our scripture reading today is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. Uh, This is found on page 975 in your pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take uh, that one home with you as a gift from us. Here's God's Word. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Dan. Yes, you may be seated. Good morning, and again, welcome. Whether you're joining us online this morning or you're here in person, we're so glad that you are with us. And uh, my name's Bill. I'm one of the pastors here. We're really, really glad uh, that you have joined us today as we continue in this series. Actually, this is our final message in our Holy Spirit series. And so as we prepare to reflect more deeply on this passage in Galatians chapter 5 that Dan has read for us so well, Uh, Let's pause and pray as we continue worshiping together. Father, thank you that you um, have given us such such hope in your word, that there is a new personal power in the Holy Spirit that's actually able to help us change and transform. And I pray that as we look more in depth at that right here, right now today, that the Spirit would do a fresh work in our lives whether we have never had a, a sense of, of, of new life given by the Spirit, maybe today is the day when that happens. Or if we've walked in the Spirit for a long time, 
Would you show us new areas where you want to work and help us to grow and change so that we might find more joy and freedom together? In Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, I wonder this morning if you have ever found yourself in a place of wanting to change, of wanting to be different, of, of wanting to, to make some sort of, of transformation in your life, and then, and then finding that there's something holding you back, holding you back from who you want to be or, or what you really want to do. And, and however you answer that question, you, you end up identifying something. Uh, I don't know what it might be. Maybe it's a circumstance in your life. Uh, or a limitation, or a habit, or an addiction, but there's some obstacle that stands in your way of you being who you really long to be, that holds you back, that, that shipwrecks your efforts to truly be that person that you want to be, that you long to be. And, and in those moments, we feel it, that we feel in those spaces that we aren't truly free, that we aren't truly free, There are things that hold us back, that tie us up, that make it feel like we're trying to run, but we have sort of cement blocks strapped to our feet, that we aren't really free. Now, there are two common approaches to dealing with this feeling of being trapped, of not being truly free. Uh, And and I wonder if either one of these sounds familiar to you, Um, maybe approaches that you've tried. Maybe you've tried both uh, in different ways. The the first approach is this. This is the the try-harder approach to getting free. The try-harder approach. And and it says that the reason that you aren't free is that you aren't trying hard enough. Uh, This approach says that we need to overcome uh, our weakness by trying harder, by trying more. That if we could only exercise enough willpower, then then, then things would change. So sort of, if you, if you want to make more money, we'll just, you know, find a better job, work longer hours, work harder, and you can do that. Uh, you want to have more time? Well, all you got to do is just optimize your, your schedule, get the right apps, work a little bit harder on getting efficient, and then you'll, you'll have enough space in your schedule. Or, or if you think, uh, well, I, I feel like I'm just, I'm just lazy. Well, you just need to develop more discipline. And if you don't know how to do that, well, get, get some self-help books. Get on YouTube and, and watch some motivational speaker videos, and you can get there. And, and if you've tried all of those things and still no change and still feel trapped, then guess what? You just better try a little bit harder. And and that try harder approach, it it locates the problem sort of inside of us and the solution outside. So so the problem is, well, you aren't trying hard enough. You don't have enough willpower. You haven't worked hard enough. And and the solution then is to say, let's add some more external structure, routines, rules, habits that will bring change. Now, that's the first approach. The second approach is just the opposite. (laughs) It, It locates the problem outside and the solution inside. So this is more of like a, you call it like the you-do-you approach. So this approach says that we need to be freed from any outside expectations on who we ought to be, either that we've placed on ourselves or that, that our, our family or our culture or whatever have put on us. The, the problem with our not feeling like we're free is that we have these external expectations and pressures, and we need to get free of those. 
it's the rules, the expectations that other people put on us that are the problem. So the, the, the you do use approach would say, well, you're just fine the way you are. You don't need to let anyone tell you otherwise. You know, never judge yourself or others. Shamelessly be and pursue whoever you want to be. You were made this way, so, so don't feel afraid to be who you are. You've got to look inside, see who you really are in there, and, and, and you can't let anyone tell you that who you discover inside isn't the true you. You need to throw off those constraints. So those are the kind of two possible approaches. And, and they, they're not mutually exclusive, right? You can sort of be trying to find freedom in, in both ways. And actually, as we look to the Bible, we see that it is an agreement that we don't, one, live up to the kind of people we want to be. And like us, the Bible actually agrees that there are internal and external realities that stand in our way from being free. But what the Bible claims here is that the only way to really be free is through the Spirit. That only the Spirit can actually set you free. Only the Spirit can set you free. And again, if you just write down or remember one thing from our, our time together this morning, I, I hope it's that idea, that only the Spirit can set you free. And, and what we're going to discover here in Galatians chapter 5 is this, is that not only does the Spirit set us free from something, and that's often how we think about freedom, is that freedom is getting free from something, that we don't have any constraints on us. We're free from something. But we're going to discover here, not only does the Spirit set us free from something, it also, He also, sets us free for something. The person of the Spirit, He sets us free for something. So first, though, let's look at what the Spirit frees us from. And then we'll take some time at the second half and look at what the Spirit, what He frees us for. So first, the Spirit sets us free from. Well, free from what? Well, to answer that, we need to know a little bit more about this, this letter that we have written by the Apostle Paul called Galatians that we're just kind of hopping into the, uh, the middle of here today. And in this letter, the Apostle Paul, and again, an apostle was, was someone who was uh, leading and doing church planting. Um, this is what Paul is doing. He's helping people hear about Jesus and then follow in the, the footsteps of Jesus, learn the way of Jesus. And he's done that all around, and he's interacted with the church group in this region called Galatia. So sometimes Paul's writing letters to specific churches, like churches in the city of Ephesus. Galatia is not a city, but it's, it's a region, like, you know, we might say the, the Midwest or um, you know, the greater Kansas City area or something like that. So he's writing church, this group of churches and Christians in this area called Galatia. That's why it's called the letter of the Galatians. So they would have passed this letter around. And, and he's reminding them of the good news that they have heard about Jesus. And it's clear from this letter that Paul has actually been with many of them, that he was the one who first shared the gospel with them, told them the good news about Jesus, that they are rescued from sin and condemnation, not by their own efforts, but by grace through faith alone in Jesus. This is the great message of Galatians, that Jesus plus anything else is, is, is nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Paul just reiterates that again and again and again, this great hope of the gospel. We preached the book of Galatians a number of years back. You could search on our sermon archive, but it's a great book on just the message of salvation by grace alone. But these Galatians, they, they started to forget, as we all do, and this is why we have to have the practice of regularly reminding ourselves of the gospel. Uh, it's why we gather in church 
in person, in, uh, you know, to, to be together, again, whether in person or online, to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel, to celebrate communion together, because we forget and things get confused. And, and this is what was happening in, in Galatia, in this region. Other teachers had come in and said that you still have to keep the rules. And, and others were saying, well, if Jesus has set me free, then I can just do whatever I want, and, and all will be forgiven. And Paul actually, in this letter, says that both of those approaches are wrong, and they'll end up being deadly in your life. And so first he addresses the law. This is kind of the, the rules, the try-harder approach. And we see this back in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. That wasn't part of our, our scripture reading for this morning, but Paul starts off this chapter saying, for freedom Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And this was the distortion of the gospel that, that some people were saying, that, that unless you did the works of the Old Testament law, that is, if the, the, the Torah, the, the first five books of the Old Testament that contain these, these laws about how God had set up his people to be distinctive in that cultural moment and context, unless you did the works of the Old Testament law, you didn't really belong as a saved member of God's family, especially if you were a Gentile coming in, that this was the idea that you, you had to sort of become Jewish in order to be a follower of Jesus. And so you know all those holy days that God had told Israel to observe in the Old Testament, you, you have to observe those. And, and you know, if you, if, you like, uh, if you like bacon, well, that's, that's got to stop. You know, that's not kosher. Uh, and, and men, if you aren't circumcised, then you're going to have to take care of that as well. And that's what these teachers were saying. You've got to become Jewish according to the Jewish Old Testament law if you're going to be accepted, you're going to be fully part of God's family, if you're really going to experience the freedom uh, and, and become the kind of person that you long to be, you have to do all of this. You have to try harder to keep the law, to find freedom and hope. It says that Jesus is good, but the responsibility is ultimately on us, on you. What we have to do is, is keep the law, keep the rules. But this is not the new way that Jesus set out and, and, and made possible by his death and resurrection and by sending of the Holy Spirit. Because the law was good. The Bible is very clear. Jesus is clear about that. The, the, the law that God gave to his people was good, but it wasn't ever going to be able to address the root issue of what kept us enslaved, what keeps us from being truly free. And in fact, all throughout the Old Testament, and, and we saw it in Ezekiel 37, if you were part of this series early on, and in other places in Jeremiah, there's this hope, this expectation that one day the law will be written on our hearts by the Spirit. This is the promise of Jeremiah. It's the hope of Ezekiel that one day we won't need this external thing because we will actually have renewed hearts, renewed minds that actually want the right things that don't need external controls. And the law in this way was like training wheels. Right? It provided external help. But the law isn't the goal. The training wheels aren't the goal. They, they can keep you from falling, but no one would say you're, you're truly free as a cyclist if you're you know, a full-grown adult having learned to ride a bike and you're still using training wheels. I, I know some of you are into cycling, uh, but all, you, know, you never see... Anyone at the starting line of the Tour de France with training wheels on their bike. And, and in fact, far from being an advantage 
<laughs> if you had training wheels on your bike for the Tour de France, you'd be at a profound disadvantage in terms of speed <laughs> and expectation, right? I mean, it's like, this is going to slow you down. This is not going to help you out. And again, it's not that there's anything wrong with the training wheels or that they're bad, but they, we just move past those. We don't need them any longer. And Paul tells the Galatians here that there's an alternative to living under the law, and that is being led by the Spirit. Look at Galatians chapter 5, again, this is verse 18. And Paul says this, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You've been given the ability to balance, to ride a two-wheeler. Why are you trying to put the training wheels back on? That's what Paul's point is. The Spirit has set you free from this try-harder approach on change. But then, naturally, the question comes then, right? Of course, well, wait, if I'm not under the law, if the Spirit has set me free, I'm not under the law, then can I just do whatever I want? Does this mean that the you-do-you approach, that's actually been the right approach all along? We just need to get rid of these, these rules, these external constraints, and, and just kind of follow, follow our hearts, and we're, we're not under any kind of constraint anymore? And that's what Paul addresses next. Because we are free from the law. We're free from the try-harder approach, but we're also free from what he's going to call the flesh here which is kind of the freedom from the you-do-you that I just am always sort of actually end up enslaved to my impulses, my desires, my whims, whether they're good or destructive. And, and this is, again, what Paul calls the flesh here. Now, this is a complicated word. The flesh is not a, uh, an easy word to, to comprehend. Lots of scholars that debate. And, and Paul, part of the problem uh, with understanding the word flesh is that Paul uses it in different ways, in different places. Uh, and so you have to really look at the context. But we don't have time to dive in deep into this understanding of, of what does Paul mean by flesh. But one thing I just want to point out before we, we read some of these verses again, one major misunderstanding of the flesh and, and that is that we just identify the flesh one for one with, with our physical bodies. And, th- and that's not what Paul has in mind in this passage, in this verse, is that somehow it's our, our physical bodies that are the problem. And if we could just escape our physical bodies and live sort of a purely disembodied spiritual life, that, that that's the hope, that's the goal, that's the longing, and then we'll, we'll be free. God made bodies. That's Genesis. That's page one of your Bible. Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. You go through this account, and he's made our bodies. Genesis chapter two, he's formed them from the dust. Psalm 139 talks about that, that he's knit us together in our mother's womb, that God has crafted your body, and he's called it very good. So your, your physicality is not the problem. In fact, to be a human is to be embodied. And one day, our hope is not that we'll get rid of our bodies, but that actually we'll have new, resurrected bodies that are powered and empowered by the Spirit, just like Jesus and his resurrection. So as we read this passage, when we hear this language of flesh, don't just think, my physical body, and if I can just finally get rid of my physical body then things will be good. There's something else going on here. And that is that there is a force 
at work in us. The, the, the problem is that, that there is a force at work in us that has tainted every aspect of who we are. A, a force that makes it impossible, apart from the Spirit, to consistently do what we actually want to do. And the flesh is that force. That's what, what Paul is naming here. It's kind of this insatiable desire for more, this, this desire, this longing for more that's never satisfied. As Paul says here, verse 17, he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Isn't that interesting? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Uh, maybe you've had this experience or, or, or one like it, and, and it's, it goes like this. You, you, you know, you, you stay up a little too late, and maybe you have a, a, a little bit too much to drink. Maybe because of that, your, your inhibitions are down. You have one more dessert or little, you know, two or three more pieces of pizza than you, than you would, and, and you wake up the next morning not like you've gone on some bender or something, but you wake up the next morning and you're just like, you just, you didn't sleep well. You kind of got a little bit of a headache. You feel sluggish and sick to your stomach a little bit. And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm not doing that again. Like that's just, it's just not fun. I, I don't like waking up feeling like this. But, but then that evening gets there or the next weekend gets there it's like, it's been a long day, it's been a long week, and you just want to relax, and I'll just have a few more pieces of pizza, just one more drink, and oh, this show's so good, let's just do one more episode. And you're back in that same spot. And, and the question is this, in that moment, as, as you're reaching for the one more drink, as you're clicking one more episode, grabbing the next dessert, are you doing what you want to do in that moment? Are you really doing what you want to do in that moment? And at one level, of course, the answer is yes, right? Like, <laughs> I'm doing what I want to do. I, I wouldn't keep eating or drinking or watching if I, didn't, if I didn't want to. No one's holding a gun to my head. Of course I would. But, but at another level, morning you, <laughs> who is the same you as night you, doesn't want you doing what you're doing, right? Like we have these conflicting desires so often. Uh, Rachel and I have gotten in the habit of asking one of those questions, especially when we, we see the other kind of like stuck on their, their phone. And we just will ask the question, are, are you doing what you want to do right now? And sometimes the answer is yes. Like, oh, I'm, I'm responding to a text from, you know, from my mom or, or whatever. And it's like, okay, cool. But then other times it's like, no, I'm not actually doing what I want to do right now. I, I went to respond to a text, and then I saw a news alert, and now I'm reading an article, and I, I totally got lost in this thing. I'm not actually doing what I want to do right now. Now, sometimes that you know, question will provoke ire from the other. <laughs> but it's, it's become a good practice. To say, are, you, are you really doing, like, is that what you, do you consciously say, like, I want to sit here for 10 minutes on my phone? Or... Did you just, is that just, does that just happen? But there's hope, right? The Spirit can set you free from this, help you to grow in this. Listen to these verses afresh now. This is verse 16, and I'm going to read a little more extended part here. 
Paul writes, but I say, walk by the Spirit. There's a great like kind of history of, of that word walk. It connects to all of this, this wisdom literature in the Old Testament and the Proverbs and Psalms. This walking is this whole picture of how you live your life. If I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then, then Paul kind of gives us a, a couple of checklists, some examples here. And he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. This is the kinds of thing, when you are in the flesh, when you are giving into those kind of desires, when you are following that, this is what it's going to look like. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of angers, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. What, what I always find fascinating about this kind of list is, is Paul names some things that we might quickly say, well, yeah, of course, you know, I don't know, uh, drunkenness, orgies, sexual morality. Yeah, those are, we should avoid those things. But also, like, he slides just... He drops into that list jealousy, envy, divisions, sorcery. I don't know if anyone's been doing sorcery lately. Um, you should stop if you are. Um, but, you know, here's, it just, it's, a, it's a varied list. Some of these things are much more acceptable sins. Others are, are much less so. And then Paul says, I warned you, as I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is not like, I won't inherit the kingdom of God because you've been on the naughty list and, and we only, you know, it's like these things are fundamentally incompatible with a new creation where faith and hope and love and life are going to flourish. This kind of stuff is going to ruin that. And so, so if this is what characterizes your life, like you, you can't get in. You're not going to get in there. But then he goes on in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And another contrast between these two lists as well is when you look at that list of the works of the flesh, this is all self-centered kinds of stuff. Where it's putting me, my wants, my desires at the center I mean, anger, rivalry, jealousy, envy, all of those things, they, they, they're all about me, 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 me getting what I want. But you notice the, the fruit of the Spirit, that list, it's all others focused. It's all about being in relationship with, with others in this way that brings life, which is also a fascinating thing about the fruit of the Spirit is that it really requires being in meaningful community with others to grow in this, right? You, you, you can't grow in love and patience and faithfulness and goodness kind of just on your own. Like these are relational qualities that work themselves out in the context of relationships where you need to have patience, where your faithfulness is, is called upon. The, the promise is that the power of the Spirit can actually set you free from the things that you don't want to do, but find yourself still doing so this means, again, this is where the, the big turn in the text is. Not only are we freed from something, but we're also freed for something, for fruitfulness. We're freed for others. Uh, Paul says earlier in there that we are free to serve one another, back in verse 13. Your freedom is for others. And when we walk by the Spirit, when we are led by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is produced by us. The Spirit cultivates that fruit in our lives. 
And and that self-control aspect is huge here because self-control means that we get to do what we really want to do, not what our conflicting impulses and desires push us to do in the moment. Okay, now the question probably comes here or has been lingering maybe for you. Okay, but how, Bill? Bill, how? To which I say, but Paul, how? (laughs) Because one of the most frustrating things I think about this particular passage, uh, one of the tricky things, is that Paul says, he talks about a number of different ways, to walk by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. That's all, those are all metaphors that he uses here. But Paul, in this, he doesn't give us sort of a step-by-step checklist of, of this is what you have to do to walk by the Spirit or be led by the Spirit. And that has opened up all kinds of space for reflection and meditation on this passage. I think it was part of what this text is inviting us to do. Christians throughout the church, uh, history of the church have done that a lot. So let me just give you one quick idea here uh, that I think kind of is a picture of what walking by the Spirit looks like. And again, all throughout the series, we've highlighted the, the Trinitarian nature of God, that he is one God, but he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I I think that walking by the Spirit has a lot to do with this, that it looks like obeying what Jesus taught us to do in faith. Obeying in faith what Jesus taught us. Over and over again in the Gospel of John in particular, Jesus was like, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus invited us into a way of life and so, so let me explain what I, what I mean by this, that there are moments when Jesus is going to call you, for example, to love someone that you do not want to love. It could be a neighbor, <laughs> more likely it's a coworker, or a child or a spouse, it's people who are closest to you, right? And, and you are going to be called to love them sacrificially, and you are not going to want to do it. But you will find yourself in that relationship. There will be a nudge, a sense, an idea. This is something I could do to serve this person. This is something I could do to improve this relationship. And it's going to kind of flash there real quickly. And there's this moment where you're faced with a uh, a choice. What am I going to do with that? Jesus, are, are you calling me to do this for this person right now? where you have a choice to respond to them in a patient, kind word, or in a harsh word. And at that moment, in that kind of split second of a moment, uh, when all you want to do is lash out, you'll find yourself with that choice. In faith, I could take Jesus at his word and love this person, sacrifice for them. Or I could just do what I want to do. And and in that moment when you say, I'm going to choose to take Jesus at his word, even when it doesn't make sense, when forgiving this person doesn't seem like it makes sense, when being kind to this person doesn't seem like it makes sense, but Jesus called me to do this, even when it doesn't make sense, I'm going to step out in faith. That's what faith is. Not just this one time kind of assent to the truth about the gospel, but faith is this day-to-day, like I'm going to trust that if I do what Jesus actually commanded me to do, that somehow the Spirit will show up and empower me to do that. It is a bit like stepping off of a cliff, saying, like, this does not make sense to treat this person this way, but I'm going I'm to step out and trust that the Spirit will be there to meet me with the strength to do this. Now, this, is, this isn't easy. <laughs> it, it doesn't happen all at once. 
And, and you may have moments of pr- like profound victory and lasting change in one area, where it seems like yesterday I struggled to love this person, or I struggled with, with this habit or this addiction or whatever, and I woke up this morning and boom, it's gone. And I've never, I mean, there's lots of stories, right? People who had that kind of transformational experience. God does that. Uh, but in other areas of your life, you may battle a particular desire or temptation or tendency for your whole life. And that doesn't mean that there isn't, like, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you don't have the Spirit. It just means that sometimes there are, are patterns that are just a lot harder to break. But the key is whether it's something that is easier for you to do or harder for you to do, those things are going to be different based on who we are and how we're wired and our background, all that, is that we don't have a passive approach to this life with Jesus. The Christian approach to life in Jesus is not one, uh, in the Spirit, is not one of passivity, but one of intention and grace-fueled effort. I love how theologian J.I. Packer puts it. He says, the Christian's motto should not be let go and let God but trust God and get going. And that's right. Step out in faith. And expect, like in a tenacious, kind of bold way that God, I'm going to do what you said and I, you've got to show up and meet me there. But that's where, it, I mean, literally, because I got metal, metaphor, rubber meeting the road, I mean, that's where it happens. I'm going to step out in faith and obedience and God, you've got to show up and meet me there. Again, walking in the Spirit requires effort, not passivity. And the metaphor of walking implies that we are on a journey every day that requires us to apply the freedom to the Spirit in the moment of every aspect of our existence. I was thinking about this passage the other day, and someone pointed out, I thought it was so good, that verse 18 says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But we often do that the other way around. We say, well, if I can finally escape the desires of the flesh, then I'll be spiritual. Paul actually puts it the other way around. You have to start by walking by the Spirit. That's what gives you the power to break free from the flesh rather than in your own effort of trying harder. Trying to break these patterns and say, okay, once I'm not, I stop doing this, once I stop doing this, once I stop doing this, then I'll be spiritual. And the problem is that you will not be free of your flesh if you're using your flesh to do it. <laughs> We don't need more willpower. We need the Spirit's power, right? If there's a heavy weight that you are unable to lift, the solution is not just to strain and try harder. You actually have to to train your body to be able to lift that. So for example, uh, the question is this. Is it impossible for me to bench press my body weight? The answer is yes and no. (laughs) I mean, if you took me to the gym right now, threw my body weight up on the bar, and asked me to do a bench press, I, it would be impossible for me. I could not do it. But is it humanly possible? Like, is it unattainably for, for me as a, a 30-year-old, 9-year-old healthy male to bench press my body weight? Like, that's a totally reasonable weightlifting goal. Like, and Nadia, I mean, you can go online, and, I actually did this week, you can go online and you can get Google like a 15-week training program. Men's health has it, that, that any, any person, any healthy person can do this, right? So is it impossible for me to bench press my body weight? Today, right now, yes, it is. But it's not outside of the realm of who I'm created to be. And with training, if I consistently did strength training, I could, I could, I could do that. 
maybe you feel like you're trapped in a stress spiral or an addiction or weighed down by guilt and rules and expectations that you can't meet. The solution is to walk in the Spirit. That is to cultivate the practices, the habits that build up those muscles. And then over time, the Spirit will be stronger in your life, stronger than the desires of the flesh. And again, none of this is magic. None of this happens overnight. But lasting change is possible with help. Help from the Spirit who allows you to be humble enough to ask for prayer. Humble enough to seek help from the Spirit who frees us from guilt and reminds us that we are fully known and fully loved right now. Now, there is so much more practical wisdom in the Bible about how to live a life of true freedom, so much more than we can cover in this message. Um, Not about just about the freedom from, but the freedom for, about what a life lived in the Spirit, a a life that is in step with the Spirit actually looks like. And one of the most practical places in the New Testament to look for, like, how does our faith transform our everyday life is in the little New Testament book of James. And we're actually going to start, it's like an eight-week series in James. It's just a little five-chapter New Testament book um, that's going to be next Sunday. We're going to spend eight weeks just soaking in James. And we're calling that series Real Faith. Uh, Actually, if you want to pick up our latest companion journal, you know, we have these uh, now to go along with our sermon series. You can do that, especially if you're in a community group. You're going to want to get one of these for sure because this is what's going to kind of guide your time. Um, Those are on the back uh, table where the the water and that kind of thing are. So make sure you pick up one of these because it actually is going to start helping you on page one of this journal, or week one, to get ready for next week's message. So make sure you grab, grab one of these on your way out today. It's going to be a great companion to your um, just own personal walking in the Spirit, but it's going to be something as we journey in this new series together that you're going to want to have. Um, so don't, don't miss out on that James series. It's going to give us a lot more wisdom on what does it look like to walk in the Spirit in everyday life in lots of different challenging circumstances. Because only true freedom comes when we give ourselves wholly to the one who gave himself for us wholly. In Jesus, we discover the life-altering paradox that death to self is the only way to life and that true freedom is found only when we give ourselves wholly to him. If you've never done that, if you've never fully committed yourself to Jesus, I invite you to do that today. To stop trying to get free on your own and to start trusting Jesus. There isn't any magical phrase or incantation that makes that happen. You could simply just pray, and I've got a, a, just a sample. This is, there's nothing, again, magic about this, but you could simply pray if you need some words. I am yours, Lord. Save me. You are my only hope in life and in death. Would you set me free to follow you? I mean that this morning. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you pray that prayer this morning. Again, not because those are magic words, but as an expression of your trust that you can't change on your own. And you need someone to rescue you, to save you. If you pray that prayer, you, you desire to make a commitment like that, but you're not sure what happens next. You're like, I, I did that today, Bill. We, we'd love to know that. Tell somebody, tell a friend, tell one of your pastors. We'd love to celebrate with you, and journey with you. Let's pray. Father, I I pray afresh my own heart and mind today that I am yours. Save me. You are my only hope in life and in death. Lord, would you continue by the work of your Spirit to set me free, to be all that you've created me to be.
And now as we celebrate communion together, would you remind us powerfully of the truth of the gospel that sets us free, free from trying harder, free from enslavement to, to our own desires, to be free to image Jesus, to serve one another. It's in his name that we pray, by the power of the Spirit that we trust. Amen.